Our guest preacher this morning is uh, well known to many of you. Uh, Pastor Render Keynes has served in this presbytery for uh, a long time. 36 years. 46, 36. 36 years, sorry. Didn't mean to add that extra decade. Uh, he planted and then pastored Covenant Presbyterian Church just down the road in Chattanooga, which until pretty recently was our closest neighbor. Uh, and now in his retirement, uh, he's keeping pretty busy. Uh, uh, just recently, uh, I learned that Pastor Keynes has uh, been uh, appointed as stated uh, as pulpit supply for or interim pastor, I guess more properly, uh, at one of the other churches in our presbytery. So uh, he's not slowing down, uh, and we're thankful for that. Thankful that you're with us this morning uh, as you bring us God's word. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Many of you don't know this, but uh, Sam and I are outlaws. What I mean by that is we're not exactly in-laws, but his grandfather and my Uncle Frank's father are cousins. So that makes us outlaws. Okay, okay, so. We both get tied into a wonderful family called the Bullinos. So it's interesting how all that works out. It's great to be with you and uh, be with you for the next, this Sunday and the next two Sundays. And, um, and I would, I would ask for you to uh, remember me in your prayers. I'm not getting any younger, but I will be taking on the responsibility of uh, the interim pastor at Chattanooga Valley Presbyterian Church uh, beginning in August I pray that they quickly find a new pastor. <laughs> so, let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you would teach us. We pray that we would be receptive. We pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged. We pray that we would be instructed in how you would have us to live for the sake of your glory, honor, and praise. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Much appreciated the prayers this morning. I must tell you that the public prayers of the senior associate pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church, Eric Mullinex, who may be known to some of you, his prayers encourage me, always have encouraged me to, to praise our God the Father, to, to honor God the Son, and to be grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst and throughout our world. Well, I'm confident, uh, hopeful, that many of you have also been blessed by the public prayers of others that enrich your love for the Lord and, and strengthen your confidence in his faithfulness. It's great to hear others pray, people who sincerely love the Lord. But now think. Think what it would be like to hear Jesus pray. Think if we could stand in his presence and have Jesus lead us in prayer. Well, open your Bibles to John 17. 
Because here in John 17, Jesus prays and we listen. We listen as God the Son, empowered by God the Spirit, leads us into the presence of God the Father. Now this 17th chapter of John will be our focus for the next three weeks. This morning, we're going to be looking at the first five verses where Jesus prays for himself. If you look ahead in verses six through 19, Jesus will pray for his 11 disciples. And then two weeks from now, we'll look at verses 20 through 26, and we will listen as Jesus prays for you and me. As Jesus prays for those of us who by grace through faith have embraced Jesus as our Savior, our Lord, and our King. But just before we, we look at these verses, these first five verses, let me take a moment to set the stage. Let me take a moment to remind you of what immediately has preceded Jesus praying here in John 17. If you would, look back in your Bibles at John chapter 12 and verses 23 and 24. John 12 verses 23 and 24. In those verses we learn that Jesus knows the hour is come when, like a grain of wheat, he must fall into the ground and die so that he might bear much fruit. You understand that you are that much fruit? Jesus dies like a grain of wheat falls into the ground and he dies and he bears you. You are the good fruit that our Lord died in order that you might be born again. The coming hour of which he speaks will be his final moment of humiliation. You remember, we're taught. We're taught about this humiliation. We're taught in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 8. Just listen. We're taught that Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to, but he chose to empty himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And now, that final hour of humiliation is at hand. Within hours, Jesus will be betrayed, he'll be arrested, he'll be falsely accused, he'll be physically tortured, he'll be unjustly sentenced to, to suffer the, the horror of death by crucifixion and to suffer the even greater horror of being momentarily forsaken by his father because he is bearing your sin. Now, in John 13, 1, we're told 
that knowing his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, we're told that Jesus lovingly gathers with his disciples to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate the slaying of a lamb by whose blood the people were delivered from the angel of death. Jesus gathers them together to celebrate this Passover. He humbly washes their feet. And then having washed their feet, he turns to one of the 12. He turns to Judas. And he says to Judas, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. Judas departs. And then, if you haven't read lately, read John 14 through 17. Then in John 14 through 17, you listen as Jesus speaks and he prays with the 11. You listen as Jesus speaks and prays with the 11. There's much to hear, much to learn in those four chapters. Our focus is John 17. Some, some call John 17 Jesus' high priestly prayer. Others call it his, his prayer of, of, consecra of consecration. I choose to call it our Lord's Prayer. Now, I know we think of what we just prayed as our Lord's Prayer, and that's very proper. But if you think about it, what we just prayed is the disciples' prayer. It's the prayer Jesus taught the disciples to pray. But here in John 17 is our Lord praying. Here is our Lord's prayer. Now that final hour of humiliation is at hand. Within hours, Jesus will be betrayed. He'll be arrested. He'll be falsely accused. He'll be falsely, uh, he'll be unjustly sentenced to die on the cross. And now, Knowing that hour is at hand, he prays. Look at, verse, look at verses 1 through 5 of John 17. Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and that they know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, now, in light of this hour that is approaching, now, Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Five times Jesus speaks of glory. In verses 1 and 5, he asks that the Father be glorified by glorifying Jesus. In verse 4, he tells the Father he has already glorified him doing, during his earthly ministry. Now, the root of the Greek word for glory is doxa, D-O-X-A, doxa. Our word, doxology. 
comes from that Greek word. A doxology is a word of praise and thanksgiving to God for, for who he is and for what he has done. And, and in the New Testament, when doxa is used in reference to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it refers to a visible, a visible display of the glory of the triune God. Linda and I, my wife Linda's with me today. She won't probably be with me the next two Sundays. That's not because there's any problem. It's just she's got other responsibilities at Covenant Church. But Linda and I have seen the royal jewels of England displayed in the Tower of London. We've seen them. They're, they're stunning. Crowns, scepters, maces, orbs, ornate garments, gold, and precious jewels in abundance. What are those things for? They're intended to be a visible display of the glory of the rulers of the British Empire. Well, here in John 17, Jesus prays that he be glorified. He prays, when he prays that he be glorified, he's asking that both his and the Father's, now think about this, he's asking that both his and the Father's divine splendor be visibly displayed for others to see. In the Old Testament, the Lord visibly displays his glory atop Mount Sinai through thunder and lightning and a, and a thick cloud covering the top of the mountain. In the wilderness, he displays his glory in a fiery cloud. And later on, his glory will be seen by the people as a, as a blazing cloud engulfs both the tabernacle and then the temple. And you'll remember that in Scripture, a few individuals were, were given a, a personal glimpse. They, had a, they were given a personal glimpse of God's glory. And, and when they saw his glory, they, they trembled and, the, and they fell to their feet. They fell on their faces onto the ground. And you'll remember that atop the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John saw the glory of Jesus. Let me tell you something. If you have eyes to see, you've seen his glory. What's the psalmist say? The psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Surely, surely you've been awed by the glory of a sunrise, a, a sunset, a, a night filled with stars, a, a, a stunningly bright full moon. I remember the first time I saw the, the Rocky Mountains rising as we crossed the state of Colorado. The majesty of the glory of God so powerfully displayed. It was during a flight to Uganda that 
had this incredible experience where I was able to view on a perfectly clear day, view out an airplane window, the Alps in all of their majestic glory. My, my wife is a, is a gifted gardener. I've seen the Lord's glory displayed in the beauty of her flowers. For those with eyes to see, all of creation reveals the Creator's glory. But even more importantly, here in the Gospels, God's glory is visibly displayed to those who see and hear. As John testified in John chapter 1, verse 14, John wrote, The Word, that's Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen what? We have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's why Jesus can pray here in John 17 in verse 4. It's why Jesus can pray, Father, I glorified you on earth. I accomplished the work you gave me to do. Now, I've never seen Jesus. If you have, just keep it to yourself. I've never seen Jesus. One day I will. But I have seen creation witness to his glory. I've seen the glory of his hand through the unfolding of his providential purposes in my life. I've heard him speak as I read the Holy Scriptures. But there back in the Gospels 2,000 years ago, in John 17, 4, Jesus tells the Father, I visibly displayed your glory by showing them through my life, my words, my deeds, the wonder of who you are, the grace of your saving power. I showed them your glory by turning water into wine, by giving sight to the blind, by, by calming the raging sea, by, by raising Lazarus from the dead. I showed them the glory of your grace by proclaiming good news to the poor and liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind. I taught them that I am the light of the world sent by you to illuminate their darkness with your glory. I told them by their seeing and hearing me. They, I told them, I showed them that I am the great I am. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Look back again at chapter 12, verse 27. It's always important to keep the context in mind here. Chapter 12, verse 27. By his words, by his deeds and words, Jesus visibly displayed his and his Father's glory. But now, knowing the hour of his humiliation is, ha is at hand, look at chapter 12, verse 27. As that hour approaches... Jesus, Jesus, Jesus confesses 
He confesses that his soul is troubled by what he knows he must soon endure. That always stuns me a little bit. Jesus is troubled. Jesus? Anybody here know troubles? Anybody here ever known troubles? Anybody? If you've ever known troubles, raise your hand. Some of you are liars. Here's Jesus. Jesus. And he prays, my soul is troubled. It's always difficult for me. I, it's find, I find it much easier to remember that Jesus is fully God than I do to hold on to the fact that he's fully man. I struggle much more with our Lord's humanity than I do with his deity. But here he is, fully man, and he's troubled. And he prays in John 12, verse 27, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. He prays, it is for this purpose for which I have come to this hour. He prays, look at what he prays. This hour having come, therefore, Father, glorify your name. John 17, 1. Jesus, you listen as Jesus prayerfully commits himself to, this, to the task of displaying the Father's glory by bringing to fruition the Lord's covenant promise to save his people from sin's curse and power. He is the long-promised lamb of God who comes as the final sacrifice for sin. In a few short hours, he will bear your sins by going to the cross, suffering the penalty merited by your rebellion against the one by whom and for whom you were created. For you, he will die and be buried. And by doing so, by doing all of that, both the Father and Jesus will be glorified by visibly showing that he keeps his covenant promise. Because Jesus is in fact the promised redeemer, the promised final Lamb of God. He will do all this as he prays in verse 2. Look at verse 2. He will do all this because the Father has given him authority over all flesh, over all creation. Again, let me remind you that weeks earlier, in John 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus said, the Father loves me. The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So here in 
John 17, 2, acknowledging that the Father has given him over all flesh, has given him authority over all flesh, given him authority over all creation. Jesus tells the Father. Look at what he tells the Father. Believer, look at what he tells the Father. He has absolute authority. What will he do with this absolute authority? He will use his absolute authority to give to you the gift of eternal life. What would you do with absolute authority? Absolute authority. You can do whatever you want. Jesus uses his absolute authority to give to you who believe the gift of eternal life. He will exercise his absolute authority by willingly choosing to lay down his life then take it up again. And he will do this for your sake. And by doing so, he will procure for you the gift of eternal life. He will graciously send the Holy Spirit to enable you to see his glory. To enable you to see that he is your Savior, Lord, and King. So what is eternal life? Look at verse 3 real quick. Look at verse 3. Eternal life is the reward of intimately knowing both the Father and the Son. This intimate knowledge, and I don't have time to expand upon that. I wish I did, but I don't. This intimate knowledge of the Father and Son is yours. It's yours, you're told, in 1 Peter 4, verse 14. This intimate knowledge of Jesus and the Father is yours, Peter says, because the spirit of glory rests upon you. The spirit of glory rests upon you. The spirit of glory gives you eyes to see. He gives you a heart to believe. He gives you a will to obey your glorious Savior. God the Holy Spirit enlightens your mind. He enlightens your mind to know that God The Father sent God the Son to deliver you from the dominion of darkness and to bring you into his eternal kingdom. And knowing, listen to me now, knowing and believing that all that is true, to him you bow the knee and then you rise to do his bidding. Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord in the sixth chapter of his prophecy. And the prophet, knowing his sin, he's undone. He's undone. Woe is me. But a coal is taken from the altar, from from the the place of sacrifice in the Old Testament that, that anticipated that one day the final sacrifice would be offered up once and for all time. From that altar, a coal is taken and it's pressed to Isaiah's lips, symbolically cleansing him of his sins. And what's Isaiah's response? What's Isaiah's response? Is his response is to tell the Lord, here am I, send me to do your bidding. So likewise, believer, 
being forgiven because of the once and for all time sacrifice of Jesus, you say to the Lord, here am I, send me to do your bidding. Now look at John 17, verse 5. Now Jesus prays that he be glorified by having restored to him the glory that was his before the earth was created. Remember what we were told in Philippians 2. We're told that in becoming a man, for Jesus to become a man, he had to empty himself of the glory that was his from eternity past. Well, I really want you to look at this, having just spoken about Isaiah. Look at John 12, verse 41. Look at John 12, verse 41. Remember what we just said about Isaiah. Look at John 12, verse 41. Look at what you're told. See what you're told? You're told that the glory that Isaiah witnessed was in fact the glory of the pre-incarnate Christ. It was the glory of the pre-incarnate Jesus. And this is the glory that Jesus asks in John 17, 5. This is the glory that he asks to be his once more as he returns to his Father's right hand. It is with this stunning truth that John begins his gospel when he tells us in John 1, in the beginning was the word, and John will tell us in verse 17 that the word is Jesus. John begins his gospel by telling us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And now that glory, Jesus prays that it be restored. Now we're going to cheat a moment, okay? Anybody here against cheating? Okay. If you are, just have to forgive me, okay? Look ahead to John 17, verse 24. Look ahead to John 17, verse 24. In John 17, 24, Jesus asks for the Father, asks the Father on your behalf, asks the Father for you to be allowed one day to see the visible splendor of his heavenly glory. In his first epistle, John assures you that one day you will see him face to face. How incomprehensible is that? I mean, how much beyond my ability to get a hand, to get, to get my arms around that idea? How far beyond me is that idea? But what a glorious promise. What a glorious truth. 
So in these opening words of our Lord's Prayer, Jesus prays for glory. He asks that the visible manifestation of both his and the Father's glory be displayed by Jesus' life and death and resurrection, his ascension and his reign and his, his promised return. Well, here's my question. Do you see it? Do you at least catch a glimpse of it? Has the Holy Spirit given you eyes to see who the Father is, who the Son is? Do you believe that Jesus is God come in human flesh to display his and the Father's glory by, by bringing to fruition his covenant promise to rescue you from sin's curse and power and to bless you with the gift of eternal life? If you do, then with me, you're humbled and you're awed and you're grateful. If you do, then like Isaiah, you're eager to show by all you do and say the glory of the Creator, Savior, Lord and King, to show his glory to all those you come in contact daily with Isaiah. You say to the Lord, here am I. Here am I. Send me to do your bidding. Just one more moment. My friends, if you don't see it, if you can't catch a glimpse of it, I pray the Holy Spirit of glory will open your eyes, will renew your hearts and redirect your wills. I hope that you will see him, that you will know who he is and what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do, that you will know that you are saved from sin's curse and power, and that you will know that the one who had all authority used all of that authority to purchase for you the gift of eternal life. And believer, I hope with me, as you listen to Jesus pray in these opening verses of John 17, I hope you can join me in coming to only one conclusion and that is this, to God the Son, to God the Father, to God the Son, to God the Holy Spirit, to our triune God, be all glory, honor, and praise. Let's pray. Father, to think that we listen as you pray. May we hear that prayer. Show us your glory. And may we, by your grace, by your mercy, by your love, may we live glorious lives. Seeing your glory, knowing our sins, knowing we are forgiven. May we, with Isaiah, say to you, here am I. Send me 
to do your bidding. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.